hi um, welcome to our second podcast in this mini series which is looking at diversity on boards and how it has progressed i'm joined again by Teresa l johnson partner at arnold and porter in san francisco hi how are you today Teresa? i'm i'm wonderful i'm wonderful i'm a how are you today i'm very well thank you thank you for checking in this is, as I said, this is our second podcast that we're going to be talking about today is how diversity is being achieved. In our first podcast, which um, I hope you've had an opportunity to listen to, we talked about the fact that board diversity has indeed come a long way, but there's plenty more to do. And just in a nutshell, we talked about the fact that there was very little regulation in the UK in this regard, and reliance had been placed on peer pressure, naming and shaming pressure on investors from investors and stakeholders to achieve change, which was in stark contrast to California, where the number minimum number of women on boards of publicly traded companies came into force only in 2018. And um, in only a couple of years, California has seen significant change compared to what has been achieved in a decade in the UK. So without any further ado, I was going to put the first question to you, Teresa, if that's all right. How do you see that um, diversity has been achieved in California? What's making the real difference? Uh, well, I, I, think, uh, I think, Emma, you, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, there are sort of two paths that um, diversity advocates have followed generally. There's been the, as you noted, the naming and shaming idea of which is, is often a disclosure-based one. And that's one that, that's been in place in, in other parts of the U.S. for a while. And that's kind of where we started in California. And then there are requirements uh, like quotas, which is the, the approach that California has taken um, recently. And, and then there's kind of a hybrid where um, recently the uh, NASDAQ, um, which is, is one of our largest uh, stock exchanges and, and the exchange where many of our leading tech companies are traded, NASDAQ has proposed a, a listing rule that isn't technically not a requirement, but to some degree, it, it, I think many are looking at it as almost like a requirement where, where companies traded on NASDAQ would have to have a minimum number of women and uh, members of underrepresented communities on their board or disclose why. And I, I just, it, that, that rule is, is still pending. Interestingly, the SEC has pushed out the timing of approval of that rule now twice. So it's, it's now, I think, the, the new deadline that, that the SEC has set for itself uh, to make a decision. They're still soliciting comments is uh, August 8th. So, you know, watch this space. Um, but I, I think if this does get approved as a practical matter, companies will be very reluctant in today's world to, to explain, you know, why they don't have diversity on their boards. And I, I think the old explanations of, well, we couldn't find qualified women or we couldn't find qualified members of underrepresented communities, you know, just isn't, isn't going to fly today. So I, I think in terms of what's, what's worked, um, you know, California began with this sort of gentle encouragement process uh, that the state created a list of, of uh, distinguished uh, women and, and minority uh, candidates for boards that was intended to be available for use by companies to try to find uh, candidates. And, and I, I'm not sure that that really you know, got much traction. And so in, uh, in 2018, the new law was proposed that essentially set a quota. And it does seem to be making real change. Most at this point, most of the public companies that are subject to the California board diversity laws have added women and, and they're in the process now of adding 
members of, of underrepresented communities to their boards. Um, but California is sort of an, uh, is, is, a, is an outlier. We're, we're a unique place in many ways. And, and um, in most of the US, there are no laws requiring diversity on boards. And the, the, the push for diversity has come more from the market. And as we talked about last time, the institutional investors and investment banks have really jumped on the bandwagon are you know, pushing that hard. Um, but uh, as you look at, it's always important to kind of look at, at the statistics and to see where things are actually, what's really happening because um, the, there's a lot of push, but then there's still a lot of questions around um, you know, what, the, what's, what the statistics show. And in this case, uh, a recent study from the Alliance for Board Diversity shows that while there was a, a four time, essentially four X increase in the number of Fortune 500 companies with 40% diversity on their boards, that you know the pace is very different between women and minorities, and so you know at the current pace, uh, it will take until 2074 before we get to 40% of board seats on the Fortune 500 companies being held by minorities. So the the biggest jump has been in in frankly in white women joining boards uh, in the last couple of years. And the, the last thing I'll note in this topic is that th there's still a, a trend for what's called overboarding where uh, you know, someone who is a board member, who's a member of an underrepresented community will be on multiple boards. And so this, the study uh, showed that, that two out of every five African-American board members um, serves on, on, a on a Fortune 500 board, serves on multiple 500, Fortune 500 boards. So that suggests some, some overboarding. So, so with that, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it back to you for your, for your thoughts. <laughs> Thank you. That's, um, I mean, that's still impressive in terms of significant change. And I don't think I've looked at overboarding from a UK perspective, but it is not unusual in the UK for board directors, particularly in public companies, to have a portfolio of companies on which they sit. The uh, progress, I would say, even in the last six months that it's been measured of the FTSE um, 350 companies has has improved in terms of gender. The um, measuring minority representation on boards has been much slower. Um, and I think that's something which the UK is grappling with uh, principally because it's very difficult to measure. But I think we will see change in the future. And I'll talk about um, in a little bit how I think that change is going to be achieved, particularly with regards to minority representation on boards. But um, as of October last year, um, the FTSE 100 hit their target of having 30.6% combined executive committee and direct reports of uh, women on boards, um, which is quite impressive. And in January, but in January 2021, so just a few months later, it was much higher. It was 34%, 34.3% to be fair. Um, and 36% of FTSE 100 women were on boards so that that's quite significant change but the way it has been achieved in the UK has been entirely voluntarily and business-led and this has resulted in a fortunately a strong supply of experienced women leaders and open up new career paths and opportunities for senior women and I think that is the real change because when this debate all first started um, 10 years ago that there just wasn't um, uh, perceived to be this pipeline of um, senior women who could move into the boardroom and start contributing in a meaningful way. And so uh, that's really, uh, it's really something to be seen from, although we don't have the quotas, 
find measuring in the publicly listed companies, changes in board representation by gender, and then measuring at just below board level, the um, executive committee and direct reports by measuring that, you can see that there is now a growing body of experienced female leaders. Um, I think that has been the biggest uh, so it, it's been a, it's been a great outcome from a voluntary and business-led approach. That, that's um, fantastic to, to, to hear that because I, I think there's a lot of um, there's been a lot of debate in the market in, in the and in, in the the kind of uh, the, the among the thought leaders about whether whether quotas are a good idea or not and and whether it's better to have the market drive it. I mean that there's a the, the organic market-driven approach is certainly, I mean, that's that's what capitalism is all about. And, and um, uh, in, the, in the U.S., there's been considerable debate about whether it's a good idea to have um, quotas because that, you know, it gets the government in the middle of regulating, you know, the composition of a board, which historically hasn't been something that, that, um, that the government has done. Uh, that there are, you know, ways in, in, in the way our public markets work, there are ways for shareholders to nominate directors through pro proxy access. I mean, it's not that easy, but it's possible. Uh, and, and there are also questions about the legality of quotas under U.S. law. And, and there are a couple of lawsuits pending in California uh, that where um, conservative uh, advocacy groups have challenged the California law and one of them is, I believe, scheduled for trial in September. So that'll it'll be interesting to see kind of how that how that comes out. Um, but I but I think it's it, to me it's actually quite quite remarkable and, and wonderful that in the UK that there's been so much progress achieved through voluntary compliance and through um, kind of the the market uh, you know voting with its feet and and exercising its its preference. And so I think that's really that's really a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to see that. And hopefully, I think, the, I think the, the movement in boards, even here, even with our quotas, I, I don't know that we would have the same, uh, we would, we would had, have had the same success if there wasn't also the, the push for it among institutional investors and, and um, thought leaders and, and advocacy groups generally. I think had there been had, had it been more of an outlier for the, the state to, to impose quotas, I think we would have seen a different outcome and, and probably a lot more pushback from, from the, the, you know, the companies in question. So it's, it's, it's not just one thing here, even though we have the quotas, I, I think it's because I think the institutional investor push has really made a difference. I, I'm really keen to see how those cases that you mentioned turn out later this year. We'll keep an eye on that for sure. But um, it's interesting because although it's, it's been termed a voluntary approach in the UK, if you look at the most successful companies where they, and by that I mean whether they are successful, but companies where they've had the biggest success on gender diversity on boards, they've achieved it by setting goals and publishing their own goals. So one could say that they've voluntarily adopted a target themselves, mm. other than the um, one third women on boards that was set by the Hampton Alexander review. So if you look at Diageo PLC, their chief executive put himself out on a limb and said, mm -hmm. right, we're going to set a goal for um, uh, women on boards. 50% of leadership roles are to be held by women, um, as well as increasing representation of leaders from ethnically diverse backgrounds to 40%. And they've set that target publicly for 2030. 
their um, percentage of women on boards is actually 60%. So they're absolutely smashing, <laughs> smashing wow. and losing the way indeed. And then you have Lloyd's Banking as well, which again set a public goal of having an increase in women in senior management 40% by 2020. And they set that six years previously. And um, they nearly made it. They got to 37%, which um, in my view is, is just about there. And, and now they've set new aspirations as well, a 50% women, a 3% black colleagues and 13% ethnic representatives as well in senior roles by 2025. And I think it demonstrates a real commitment to what a modern company should look like. But it's, it's blurring the lines, isn't it, between is this voluntary compliance or are we actually setting or are these businesses actually setting targets themselves? And I think... I think they are actually setting targets themselves and, and by adopting the approach that we've seen in California, they, they've actually made real progress in that respect. Well, it's really interesting to hear about the announcement of, of those kinds of targets because one, one of the things that's happened here, and this is another, another you know, sort of on the, on the flip side, another interesting uh, angle uh, and, and, and an area where we're seeing some litigation is in um, companies that have, and, and I'm not, I'm not aware off the top of my head of other of companies in the U.S. that have set such set for themselves such specific goals about, you know, a certain number of of diverse directors um, or, 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 you know, uh, women or members of underrepresented communities. But uh, uh, quite a few companies have made broad statements about diversity and their commitment to diversity and how it's an important part of their culture and so forth. And and um, there have been a few instances where um, companies have been sued by plaintiff's law firms over the statements that they've made about a commitment to diversity and then not having followed through on them. And so uh, they're, they're pending, I think their lawsuits are pending in, against uh, a number of companies you know, here in the, in the US with respect to that, and they're essentially bringing them under secured under as a securities claim that it's a it was essentially a you know they've they've um, you know breached the securities laws by you know making this statement that they were going to do this and then not doing it as kind of a um, a breach of their 10b5 standard, and so those are you know proceeding through the process. But you know what I what what would be interesting you know from my perspective thinking about a board um, making a statement about committing to, to diversify is I would, if I were advising them, I would, I would counsel them to say, you know, be very sure that you are really prepared to do this because if you don't, you run the risk that, that you will trigger litigation. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that respect. Yeah, I can see, I can see that. I think um, you, you mentioned previously how key stakeholders and thought leaders have contributed towards progress in the US and certainly they are um, one of the bodies in the UK that are to be thanked for bringing about real change and not just a, a tokenistic approach and again some examples from the UK the Investment Association and the 30% Club Investor Group all wrote to the FTSE 350 companies including letters to 63 companies of one and done boards and all male executives um, uh, to say you know this, this is what we want and we're going to be investing according to what fits with our criteria. Um, the FRC corporate governance report um, last year called out companies for failing to demonstrate actions and outcomes on diversity, including a lack of targets at board level and executive communication, uh, executive committee levels. 
and um, institutional shareholder services also recommended voting against the FTSE 350 nominations committee chairs where there was less than 33% women on board. So it is, it's real change, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, and those are the, and similarly, you know, BlackRock and, and, um, State Street have have uh, and in other large institutional investors have have come out to announce policies about how they're going to cast votes based on the the diversity and and uh, you know announcing that they may they may vote against the heads of nominating and governance committees to the extent that the that the slate of board members is not sufficiently diverse and that has certainly made um, some enormous differences in in. Um, uh, in the way that boards are governed, um, in the in the way that board slates are are determined, so I, I think you just you can't overstate the the significance of that push, and in the investment banks as well. That, that uh, banks like Goldman and and um, J P Morgan have have announced that they will not take companies public to the extent that they don't have sufficient diversity on their boards, and that too is a very big big step, and that has. You know that has a, a a big role in kind of seeing how how the you know moving the market. Um, it, yeah. you know, one thing that you mentioned was um, regarding uh, that, that that in the UK you've you've looked as well at the diversity of senior leadership, not only the boards but also the senior leadership, and and um, uh, and been tracking those those statistics. And it seems sounds like those have been kind of almost uh, you know tracked on a parallel basis. Um, and one thing that's always interesting to me is like whether the, the trickle down concept works um, and uh, in terms of, you know, if you make the board diverse, does that then have the result that the, you know, see by uh, proxy, the senior man- management will become more diverse and it'll move down through the company. And, and um, have you seen that change in the U.S.? In, in uh, not really. No. I mean, I think it, it's, it's perhaps a bit soon to tell, and I'm not sure that we've tracked specifically in California, but generally, um, you know, there's debate about whether trickle-down economics have, have worked, and, and I, I would say it's sort of about the same in terms of the, the diversity of corporations. Um, there are some studies recently done that have shown that, you know, that, for example, in Norway, where, which is one of the first companies to adopt a quota for uh, a minimum number of women on boards, I think they did that, you know, back in the early 2000s, that, you know, checking it again nearly 20 years later that that um, you know long period of time of having um, women on on the boards did not have the result of, of increasing the number of women in senior management and I th- I've read recently that some of the European countries like France and, and Germany quite recently have have uh, been moving legislation to to essentially impose quotas on on members of senior management that that there need to be minimum numbers of uh, there needs to be a minimum level of diversity, and that um, uh, and that's uh, that's that's in, that's interesting to see and and it it's not I don't know quite what the what the progress will be here um, I'm not sure that there's the same appetite for for setting setting goals for management just I think in part because of the way you know, corporations are are structured, and that that you know, if, if there's already some questions around whether it's appropriate for the government to impose requirements on the members of the board, since since the typically uh, the the uh, you know management is is uh, or at least the you know the CEO will be appointed by the board. It's it feels it may feel a little bit like government is getting too involved in the inner workings of, of companies to be, you know, setting management goals. And so where I think that push is going to come 
uh, from is is institutional investor and the stakeholder side of things. Yeah, yeah. I can I can see um, that there would be a pushback if you're saying government are now getting too involved in in the companies in that respect. I think um, the the final big thing that I think in the UK, aside from individual um, chairs and chief execs who have pushed along the diversity agenda, is the um, executive search firms in the UK. I've been really pleased and surprised to see how many of these are engaged in ensuring that um, they are placing diverse candidates. And that was always something, you know, maybe 20 years ago when people were saying, well, I just don't see the CVs coming across my desk. It's certainly the case now that uh, executive search firms are driving change in this area. Um, and one of the things that um, possibly has attributed this, apart from the fact that it is, of course, the right thing to do, is um, that there is an accreditation process in the UK called the Enhanced Code of Conduct, which then um, it can uh, reward executive search firms who are doing their best in this area um, and driving change. And, and that's really something which I think is going to assist with, um, you mentioned the trickle effect, so not just increasing diversity below board level, but I think it's going to assist in increasing in the UK in any event, broader diversity on boards, not just where we're talking principally about gender at the moment. I think it's going to drive real change in respect of, uh, of other protected characteristics where we want to see increased diversity on boards. Is, is that something that in California executive research firms are do you think they are also assisting in this respect? Oh, absolutely, yes. And, and from the anecdotal discussions I've had with executive search firms that they are being asked, you know, to bring uh, candidates who are, are women uh, and or members of underrepresented communities to, to boards that they are, you know, specifically, board, many boards are specifically looking, you know, for that. Uh, and I think as part of that, one of the things that's going on too is that, that um, the the board search process and the executive search firms are, are, are you know, very much uh, working on this too, is expanding beyond the typical uh, set of, you know, kind of the typical CV for a, a, a board member, you know, looking beyond just, you know, people who were CEOs of other companies or um, perhaps CFOs of other companies and looking at people with slight, with different backgrounds, maybe in the C-suite, but but you know, but not in in those in those uh, ranks, or perhaps with a background in sustainability or uh, or marketing or you know other other areas. Looking looking outside the traditional networks and looking outside the traditional CVs, which I think brings a lot of value to 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 a board, and, and particularly where companies are are looking at broader ESG issues and, and considering, um, you know, how they're going to position themselves to address climate change and other challenges in, in this, this time, um, that, that having uh, a wider set of perspectives, you know, not only in terms of, you know, people's, people's uh, genders and, and, you know, whether they are part of underrepresented communities, but also their work experience and their career experience is, um, is also quite valuable. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. Actually, diversity and inclusion has grown in um, its prominence within business discussion. It's something that's firmly on um, leaders, uh, you know, the tips of their tongues. But so, as you say, is sustainability, um, corporate social responsibility. So, bringing a diverse group of candidates from uh, a diverse background, social background, as well as experiences, is, is going to broaden that talent pool, isn't it? Indeed. Well, I, I think, Emma, we have, as usual, talked ourselves uh, uh, out and we could probably go on for another half an hour, but um, perhaps we should uh, 
wrap it up here and, and look forward to the next uh, the next session. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much um, for your contribution today. It's been it's been amazing talking to you. And um, I think next time our topic will be what next for diversity on boards. So really looking forward to that discussion. And um, thank you very much. Have a great day. Very good. Thank you.